Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, I guess, well, one that I really wanted to talk about, which is kind of not related, is the whole thing about walking a colicking horse, because this is something that I recently learned, and I think, not that recently, like, probably like six months ago or so and I think it's something that a lot of people don't know or think is kind of like questionable but it's actually like very scientifically backed like it's pretty much considered to be a fact that you actually don't have to walk a colicking horse and like more specifically sometimes if the issue is like a really minor impaction or like a trapped gas bubble or something like that a slight walk could potentially help this, but it's like pretty unlikely that it would. But it's not necessarily a bad idea to like maybe walk them for like 30 minutes or so if you think it could be something like that and just see what happens if they're walking well and they're not like overly tired or fighting you or anything. It could be an okay idea to walk them for like 30 minutes, but if they're not getting better after 30 minutes of walking, then the walking isn't gonna do anything and you know 99% of the time the walking isn't going to do anything either and then also if the horse is kind of showing like pain signs or whatever when walking or is stressed or tired just don't walk them like it's probably not going to help and it's more important for the horse to you know rest and be feeling as well as they possibly can and in terms of the rolling rolling violently is just not great in general not because it's going to twist their intestines because It's very unlikely that rolling is going to twist their intestines, but they still could get injured in some other way. So ideally, you don't want your caulking horse to be like violently rolling, but if they're laying down or just rolling a little bit, that's totally fine. So I think it's kind of one of those things where people have this idea that like you need to be constantly walking your caulking horse. Like when Coco died, I was walking her for like hours and she did not want to walk. She was very tired. And she just wanted to lay down and she was laying down quietly too and just resting. And I like wouldn't let her because I was like, no, you have to walk for hours. And so like a lot of the time it ends up doing more harm than good when you're just walking them for hours because they're getting overworked and overtired and really like rest and just letting them do what feels good to them is probably going to be more likely what is going to help them. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a gray area of like it's not a necessarily a bad thing to walk, but it can be a bad thing to walk and it's like the chance of walking helping is really low. So you could still try it if you wanted, but you know, it's not it's probably not going to help anyway. So personally, I wouldn't do it unless I needed to to get the horse to, you know, not be violently rolling. Um but yeah, so that's kind of like what the science out there says about it, and it is considered a myth that you have to walk them, and if you don't believe me, you can take it from, you know, other people who know a lot more about it. There is a podcast episode by the podcast Straight from the Horse Doctor's Mouth that also talks about this, about how you don't need to walk a caulking horse, and there's lots of studies out there. So yeah, I just talked a lot, but it's fine. <laughs> that's Okay. That's one that I didn't know until you told me, I don't know, a couple of months ago or something. And I'm glad I know that now because I don't really have a lot of colicking issues, but there have been times where I thought my horse might be colicking and walking them honestly just seemed to make them more stressed out, which isn't going to help anything. 
Yeah, exactly. That's what happened with Coco. She was a lot more stressed out and I think she would have been happier to just rest. And thankfully, once we made the decision that she was going to be put down, she was able to just lay down and rest with me for about an hour or so. So she did get rest and I stopped walking her like once I, after like hours of walking when I was like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, we, this is going to be the strangulating lipoma and the walking isn't going to help this. So she can just lay. Um, and so like, it was very, I think she was feeling a little bit better being able to rest. So yeah, I would definitely like, if your horse seems stressed by walking, just don't make them walk. Don't let them violently roll if you can help it. But also if they do get in a roll or two, it's not the end of the world. They're not going to twist their intestines. They're going to be fine. So <laughs> I'll have to look into more studies on that one. And I feel like that's when we should actually like dedicate a whole episode to too, because that's a really common one. Like I learned that when I was like two <laughs> and like, I know <laughs> just going to a barn for the first time. So I think that's a really important one. Yeah, I would love to do a whole episode on it because I feel like pretty passionate about this one just because of I feel like my last day with Coco could have gone a lot more smoothly and a lot better if I knew this. And also, I think other people who are in similar situations or even just like my old colic or whatever, my old, it might be more okay to walk because if they're not as like stressed or whatever, you know, it it's not as bad if they're not being stressed by the walking, but yeah, I just think it's really important that people should know. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. So we have a lot more that we're clearly not going to be able to get through all of them <laughs> this episode. But another one that I have on here is about sugary or sweet feeds being better for the horse. And I definitely heard this one. Somebody at the barn I used to work at was talking about how she took a lot better care of her horse that she was leasing than the owners did because when she got the horse, she switched it over to a sweet feed, whereas before it was on like, you know, a low carb ration balancer or whatever. And I think like when you just look at a sweet feed versus like a ration balancer, you're gonna, you know, notice that one of them smells better, one of them looks better. And so because of that, if you don't know a lot, you're gonna be like, yeah, the sweet feed smells better, the sweet feed looks better. Therefore, that's the better choice. But obviously, if you know anything about nutrition, like it's just not correct. No, not at all. And I feel like a lot of the horses I met that were hot and crazy, kind of tying it back to the first couple we talked about, a lot of those horses were on sweet feeds or just like a normal ration balancer that has way too much sugar and it. it's not necessarily sweet feed, but yeah, the sugar content was higher. And I think that plays a huge role into stuff like that. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, diet plays a big role in so many other things like their general health, hoof health, gut health. I mean, if you're feeding a high sugar feed, then it, it's going to harm the pH of the horse's stomach. It's going to possibly cause ulcers and colic, things like that. There's just a lot of things that can go wrong from feeding like really sugary feeds. So yeah, that's going to have a lot more effects on the horse and their health than most people would probably think if they don't know anything about diet. Yeah. I mean, horses aren't even really supposed to process sugar at all. So yeah, it's just something that came about for whatever reason and we stuck to it. I think it can sometimes just be more of a convenience thing. Like sweet feeds I've noticed are often cheaper and they come mm -hmm. in larger bags. So people just go to the feed store and pick that up. Like it's just easily accessible. Yeah. And I mean, marketing wise, I think a lot of them are like, your horse needs help keeping on weight and 
you know, you have a senior horse or whatever, you need to get this. And like a lot of them are specifically called like senior horse feet or whatever. And so it's like, if you have a senior horse, you're like, oh, I have a senior horse. I should get this senior horse feed. Whereas like in reality, most senior horse feeds, I would never want to feed to a horse personally (laughs) because they're so sugary. And I had Coco on a senior feed when I first got her because that's what she had been on before. And, you know, I'm like, she's a senior, so it's perfect. But it that plus a lot of other things and a lot of sugar and whatnot ended up leading to her having laminitis so um it's just like you really need to understand about your horse's specific health issues and about how nutrition is going to affect that so you can give them the best diet for them I have seen some horses be successful on really sugary foods like someone I follow on Instagram who had a senior horse who unfortunately passed away Um, was on one of the senior feeds and you know she seemed to be doing really well in that feed so like I personally wouldn't recommend it that's not to say that a horse is gonna totally be doing terrible if they're on it but it's just there are better options out there for like increasing weight and whatnot than putting them on a really sugary feed yeah for sure I think triple crown senior gold if I remember right is a good senior feed and it's actually pretty low in sugar that's one that the nutrition group I'm in on Facebook recommends a lot to horses that can't keep weight on. And I also really like stable one. I don't feed it as my grain, but I do use it for treats sometimes. And then also blue yeah. bonnet feeds are really good. So there's a couple that aren't like your usual commercial sweet feeds that might be good. And blue bonnet has a lot of different feeds. So that's a good one to look into if you're not sure what your horse needs and you're trying to switch your diet. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know a lot of people and I know Blue Bonnet, I think does this is they give like free nutrition consults to people. So if you do need help, you can go online and be able to contact them and get them to give you advice. And they're very knowledgeable there. I mean, other feed companies, I'm not sure I would trust as much. But yeah, if you're speaking with nutritionists, just, you know, keep in mind that they work for a specific company, they might be you know, recommending their product to you so they can make money. But still, if they are nutritionists, they probably know at least somewhat what they're talking about. So I think that's definitely a good resource that, you know, doesn't cost a lot of money because it's usually free. Yeah. And then a hay analysis is always good. We've mentioned that before. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely hay analysis. I know that's really hard for people who are, you know, getting hay from different places or whatnot, but if you can, it's, it's usually a really good idea. So you can know, you know, what nutrients there are you getting from the hay and then know what you need to supplement. Yeah, for sure. I'll probably be switching my horse's feed sometime soon because I have like, honestly, like 10 different supplements and it's just really inconvenient and now it's cold. So I really hate doing it. (laughs) So I'm thinking of switching their food, but I want to get a hay test first and see what the best fit is. And I think that can be really beneficial for your wallet because you're not buying things you don't need, but also for your horse because they're getting what they need. Yeah, that is very true. So the next one I have is horses only sleep standing up, which I think is something that a lot of people who aren't even into horses think just because horses do stand up so much. But I had to research this one to like really figure out because I don't actually know a lot about horse sleep. Like I know they only sleep a very short period. Like I think about three hours per 24 hour period, which is extremely short. But basically what I learned is that horses do sleep standing up, but they have to lay down for their REM sleep. So 
they so like certain types of sleep they do have to lay down but they only need a really small amount of REM sleep so they don't have to actually lay down that much but they might still obviously choose to lay down more if they feel comfortable or they just want to rest or things like that but yeah they they don't have to lay down for all of their sleep I mean they 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 have to lay down for some of their sleep they don't have to stand up to sleep yeah, I see my guys sleeping sometimes standing up, but more often than not, I actually see them laying down. So, I mean, I think yeah. it's pretty normal. It's just, we don't see our horses 24 hours a day normally. So I think some people are kind of thrown off by that when they do see it. Yeah, and like, I would pretty rarely see Coco laying down when she was feeling good, just because I guess when she saw me getting there, she'd be like, okay, it's time to you know, come get treats and hang out or whatever. So she would get up. And so when I did see her laying down and she let me approach her laying down, it usually was when she wasn't feeling well. And that's, you know, and that's not going to be the case for every horse, but yeah, it may just be that they are laying down, but you're not seeing it because you're not there all the time. Even if you do live with your horses on your property, you're not staring at them 24 seven. So, I mean, I get pretty close, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, (laughs) That's fair. I think I would be pretty close if I lived there. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I, if I had, if I didn't have them on my property and I like owned them, I could like, you know, check on them, put a camera there and whatnot. So I can always make sure they're doing okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I do with my guinea pigs. I've debated putting an office space in the barn a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's very cool to have them outside. I was visiting my friend who actually has the same name as me, also named Genevieve, a while ago, like maybe a year ago or so. And her horses live outside of her house. And it was just so cool just to like look out the window and see them. Like that is the life that I want to have someday. <laughs> I want to be crazy and just extend the pasture so our house is in the pasture, but I don't know if Nathan would buy that. So <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so cool though. If it would could. be until Phoenix tries to come in the house, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another one I have is black hooves are stronger or better than white hooves. And that's actually something that I have heard. And I don't know if it's like commonly, have you heard that before? I have, but I've also heard that it's like very, very not true. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that really came about. I think white hooves, you just see more of the imperfections. Like if Phoenix has a bruise on his hoof, I'm going to see it way more clearly than Wonder's two front black hooves because they're black like it's just less obvious yeah that's really true that that could be why I have no idea why and I honestly didn't really think about it I was just I guess thinking about like why they why it's not true like the structure is very similar in both colors like it's not like they have a whole other type of hoof like it's the same hoof just different color um and yeah, hoof health is going to be way more predicted by like diet, exercise, how their hooves are being cared for, like, you know, farrier skill and the trimming and whatnot, and possibly even like genetics a little bit, but those things are going to have a way bigger impact than color. Um, I do, Ren has three black hooves and one white hoof, so that's kind of interesting, but I never notice a difference between the white hoof and the black hooves, just anecdotally. Yeah, I trim my horses, so I mean I have like the hoof wall I can tell if it's harder or not and I would not say that the black hooves are harder than the white ones I'd actually argue that phoenixes are probably harder to trim and not just because he's wiggly <laughs> like, they actually <laughs> seem like they're thicker like my nippers have a hard time going through that but I don't think either are different necessarily I think it's just kind of based on the horse 
Yeah, that's very fair. Okay, and then the next one is, if I feel cold, my horse should be blanketed. I think this is a really common one, and I think a lot of people over blanket their horses. Yeah, I definitely think so too. We had a polar vortex last winter, and Wonder was outside willingly. <laughs> I think we actually had one <laughs> the past two winters, and we had real feels of about a negative negative 50 Fahrenheit-ish, and he had access to the shelter, and he was outside, so... <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily like you don't have to blanket your horse. I think if they're shaking, they're visibly cold, then absolutely do it. But most of the time, I don't think they really need it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think there are certain types of horses that might be more likely to need one, like if they're underweight or something like that, or if they don't have access to the other things that keep them warm, like shelter and or forage and things like that if they're not having access to the other things that keep them warm then they might need a blanket but ideally you would just give them access to those things that keep them warm instead of a blanket um I did blanket Coco because she like and when it was really cold like below 25 or so I would blanket her because she was underweight and elderly so I was like I I just I don't want her to be cold she's old I really you know I'm just gonna do this but in general I'm usually gonna say no blanket because it's just not necessary and I think a lot more research is needed about like what temperature exactly horses seem to want to be blanketed it's probably it's probably gonna vary on the individual like how we are you know like if we go outside some people are gonna need a jacket other people aren't gonna need a jacket just depending on like personal preference so I'm sure it varies by the individual I know there have been some recent studies like the one study that was teaching horses through positive reinforcement to indicate a symbol to say whether or not they wanted their blanket taken on or off. And I think that was a really cool study. I've definitely seen people criticizing the methods and whatnot, but I think like more research is needed on that. And that's like a promising way of being able to deal with blanketing horses. Like they, hopefully at some point we can teach them a good way to communicate with us when they want to be blanketed so that we're not just like forcing them to but then another issue with that is that a lot of the time people have to blanket their horse at night when it might be a little warmer but then it drops way lower so it's hard to let the horse kind of like tell you because like obviously if it's like 40 degrees out at that point they might say no I don't want to blanket but then in the middle of the night it might get really really cold but you're going to be asleep obviously and so the horse doesn't necessarily know that it's going to get colder so I don't know that this is just kind of getting off on tangents, but um, yeah. <laughs> blanketing debate is just like, there's so many different aspects to it. Like, I'm not going to shame people for blanketing, but there's so much that goes into it. Like just the management of blanketing, like you have to make sure you have all the right weights and that the horse is wearing the right weights at the right time. And you might have to change them in the middle of the night to have it be appropriate. Like there's just so much that goes into it. Yeah, that is so true. Okay, the last one, we're getting through all of the ones. <laughs> Horses have no feeling in their manes, and I think you brought up this one, so do you want to talk about this one? Sure, I mean, I don't really have any studies on it, <laughs> like I should, but... No, that's okay. <laughs> we've talked about it before with just horses' skin being thicker, quote-unquote. I don't think we, like, went super in-depth on it, but I think people forget that a horse can feel a fly land on a single hair so <laughs> I don't know why they think there's no sensation at all in the mane yeah that's a very good point I mean I think a lot of people just want to say that for some unknown reason 
horses don't have sensory nerves in their like hair follicles, which is just does not make any sense because they absolutely do. And I've also heard people say stuff like there's a layer of fat that separates the mane from like the rest of the body or whatever. And so because of the fat, they can't feel anything. And that just doesn't even make sense either. Like fat doesn't prevent you from feeling things. I don't even know if that's <laughs> true. They probably do have a layer of fat, but that doesn't prevent them from feeling things. Um, and then I guess about the thickness of the skin, like I'm sure we'll talk about this in the next episode in terms or not necessarily the next whenever we do an episode on like myths of training and whatnot but so horse skin is technically one millimeter thicker than human skin which is extremely minimal but technically it is one millimeter thicker overall but feeling pain is more about like the layers of the skin like how thick each specific layer is and so like for feeling pain you pretty much want to look at the epidermis which is the outer layer and that's actually thinner like significantly thinner in horses so because that's thinner it basically means that there's fewer skin cells that are going to be between the environment and the you know sensory stuff that's touching the horse in between the nerve endings in the skin in the more inner layers so basically like technically they do have thicker skin like if you're going to be really technical about it but in terms of like how that actually how like the different layers actually impact how they're feeling things they're going to feel things even more than we are because of their epidermis being so thin yeah from just watching my horses out on their own without me there at all you can tell how sensitive they are like if it's windy and cold they're going to put their butts towards the wind because they can feel that or like my fence charger, I can barely feel the shock, but they can. Like I see them like barely touch it and they're flying backwards. Like there's so many things that are insignificant to us, but clearly they're feeling it. Yeah, that's so true. This reminds me of something with Coco. Like in hindsight, this was really annoying to her and rude and I shouldn't have done it. But when I was like a child, I would like just with like the very tip of my finger, like just barely touch her withers and watch how she would shake like she thought there was a fly there and I would just be like haha that's so funny and keep like touching her and watching her like shake at this teeny little barely touch and I feel like if you touched a human like that they wouldn't even feel it or if they did they would barely feel it but it's very clear that you know she was really feeling this and really being like there is something on me and I need to like shake and get this off of me so yeah, wouldn't recommend that. Please don't annoy your horse. But yeah, definitely an example of how they really can feel like a tiny touch. I mean, if you want to do it once for an experiment, just to prove our point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but don't you keep can do doing it. Once. it. <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. <laughs> don't do it as much as I did. <laughs> I would like try different spots too. I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna move over a few inches here and like see how this spot is like affected affected differently than this other spot. And it was like, yeah, definitely, I guess, an interesting experiment but yeah the horse was not happy so <laughs> it does prove how sensitive they are though and yeah. also with that pain tolerance is going to be different based on the individual too just like with people like some people might get a tattoo and barely even feel it it might feel like a tickle but someone else it might be excruciating yeah that's a good point I never really thought of that and that can maybe go with like their past history with training too like even though we're not really talking about training like if they're constantly being you know, having pain applied to them or whatever, or things like that, then, you know, they might get sort of quote unquote desensitized to it, like learned helplessness more so. Um, and then they might not react as much. Like if your horse is constantly used to 
you know, pain and being touched and pressured everywhere in negative ways, then if you do put your finger on them very lightly, they might not shake. They might just be like, oh, you know, this is just another thing touching me and I can't do anything about it. So it may not work in every single situation. And I've actually only done it with Coco. I haven't like done it with other horses, so I can't say it would work for everyone. But yeah, I mean, that might depend on how sensitive the individual is, but they definitely feel it. It's just, they could be possibly like desensitized to react to it. Yeah, for sure. And they are herd animals too. So they're going to try to kind of suppress those emotions about it, regardless of the history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good point. All right. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all the ones that we wanted to get through that are like not training related. And then we can do another episode on the training related ones. That one might be longer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.